So we are continuing the series that we've been working our way through this summer through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, if you're following along, just as we said, we are covering two chapters a Sunday. And so uh, not going to have time, we don't have time to hit every story, uh, every word of, of that's is within the Gospel. So I encourage you to continue to read along uh, with us as we go through it. Um, if you are reading along and are looking further ahead at the Gospel of Luke, realize that we are just passing the halfway point in the Gospel. And so, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll continue our, our way through two chapters a week. That, and again, we'll finish this right at the end of the summer before we start our Not a Fan series. Um, but as we continue to, to work through this, um, again, the, we are seeing the, the Gospel uh, according to Luke. So the Gospel is a word, that word means the the story of Jesus, right? The life of Jesus. And so we have the story of Jesus that we're, we see it from Luke's perspective. Luke was a gospel writer that was not a disciple. He was a trained physician. And so we see from his perspective and, and as his observations of who Jesus was, the, the, the miracles that he did. Um, and so we see it kind of a different perspective. Um, now, again, as we work our way through, I said my goal is to give us kind of an overview of the gospel he said we're not spending, you know, dive, diving really deep into any one story, but kind of looking at the overall view and, and, and the, the topics that he's covering. Last week, like we saw that, again, he, he hit on some very practical uh, and realistic uh, topics for us even today in, in hypocrisy and money. Um, and as, as you see that, again, his overview of that was, you know, our treasure and our heart, right, and the, the core of everything that he was teaching us. Now today, um, Luke continues on into these next two chapters with some very, very practical topics. Okay, but this one, though, hones in a little more um, on, on one verse, just like before, but hones in on this verse that I want to call out um, today. And that is uh, this verse in, in chapter 13, verse 30. Now before I, I jump into that verse, though, I will say is as we look at chapters 13 and 14, is there, um, there is a, a twin structure in these chapters, meaning that um, we follow the stories and the lessons that go through both chapters, and um, Luke takes us through the same process in both chapters. Now, so he teaches the same lessons twice, once in chapter 13 and once in chapter 14. And so we're going to follow that structure uh, as he goes through and builds on that, but again, uh, he felt it was important enough, right, that he teaches it twice. And so as we see that, we're going to, again, follow that and learn what we need to learn today. But Again, the, uh, all of both chapters and these, these lessons it teaches us are based on this concept found in Luke chapter 13, verse 30, okay, where it says, Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Now, we read that verse, and that's one of those things, like we read it, and you kind of sit there, and you're like, huh, is this a riddle to be solved? Right? Like, what exactly um, is Jesus talking about here? What does he mean? I mean, is this something I got to figure out? I mean, last will be first, first will be last. Like, it doesn't make sense. Hey, now, as you see, just like we saw last week talking about money, right, when it comes to God's kingdom, right, the, and, and money, the math doesn't make sense, right? God's bigger than the math of that, right? But yet in this, we look at this, and this is not a riddle to be solved, but yet a concept for us to understand about the core of what God wants to accomplish in our life if we choose to follow Jesus. Okay, the, the first will be last, and the last will be first. 
And this, this overall concept, right, that Luke wants us to understand is the gospel, right, the story of Jesus, okay, is that the gospel turns everything upside down. Okay, the gospel turns everything upside down. What seems like it's right according to the world, right, God wants to turn upside down. Right, what doesn't make sense in our world, God can make complete sense of. Right, nothing is impossible for God. Right, and he can take things that seem impossible and make them possible. He takes everything in our life and he turns it upside down. Right, things that didn't make sense before will suddenly make sense. Right, even thinking about the, a person right, or a situation and, and thinking about in our life right, that the, the gospel will turn everything upside down. Right, that situation that it seems like there's no way out of, God can turn upside down. Right, that broken relationship where we're like, there's no way that we're ever going to be able to, to be, you know, rekindled. God can turn it upside down. Okay, there is nothing impossible for God. Okay, and the gospel, the story of Jesus, and if we truly open our lives to him, he will turn, take what we think makes sense in our world, in our fallen sinful world, and he'll turn it upside down. All right, we may look at even, maybe even a situation in our own life, our own journey, and say, like, there's that, that that I will never be free of. Right? And Jesus can turn that upside down and set you free. So as we look at these lessons this morning, think, keep this concept in your mind as we dive into some of these stories. The gospel turns everything upside down. We're going to start off... Uh, Today, um, with this first section that's, that happens in both chapter 13 and in 14, um, we start out, again, with a miracle, okay, where Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath day. Okay, and this happens, again, in both chapters. In chapter 13, he heals a woman who is crippled by an evil spirit. And in chapter 14, he, he heals a man uh, with dropsy or edema. And, but we're going to dive uh, deeper into the story this morning, into the first one in chapter 13. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, you'd open with me to Luke chapter 13. Uh, we're going to start at verse 10. And there are Bibles available for you in the seat pockets. Again, and the, the page numbers are on your outline where you can find it in that Bible. So we're going to dive into the story, uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 10, where it says, uh, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. And then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrite. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey for it from its stall to, um, on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things. That he did. And as we look at this story and realize that 
Again, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Now, we've seen a lot of Sabbath healings in Luke, right? This is kind of one of Luke's favorite things to point out, right, of how Jesus takes, again, what was, was normal in their world, in their religious world of, of celebrating the Sabbath, right, and Jesus challenges it. He does it over and over again throughout the gospel, and here we see two more times in 13 and 14 that he does it again. Okay, now in this, again, he takes um, this, this situation on the Sabbath, and then notice he, he, yes, he heals this lady, but he ultimately challenges the religious leaders within the synagogue. Right? And, and again, pointing to them and saying, what you think is, is real about the Sabbath, you've missed the point. Okay? And again, Jesus is taking their thoughts and everybody's here about the Sabbath and about what God really wants to do. And he, he's flipping it upside down. Right? As this lady comes to him, okay, she enters the story full of shame. She enters the story, right, as being afflicted by this evil spirit for 18 years. I mean, this is not like a new problem. Right, this is something that, that has been, you know, um, ailing her for almost two decades. Right, and she comes into this, she, she ends up at Jesus, and Jesus calls her out. Okay, now Jesus calls out her shame in front of everybody. And, you know, that's one of the biggest fears a lot of us carry, right, is we don't want to be called out in front of, of people. We don't want to be embarrassed. Right, and yet Jesus calls out this lady right in front of her call and names her shame in front of this crowd. Okay, first off, notice he, he calls her dear woman. And again, in their culture, right, women were at the bottom of their culture. Again, don't get mad at me about that. That's just the way their culture was. Okay, and so he, call, he calls her, addresses her as woman, and then he calls out her sickness, right, which was the true source of her shame. Right, as he calls her out, and then he tells her that she has been healed. Okay, then after that, Jesus physically touches her, right, which again is very... Um, you know, symbolic, right, of the fact that Jesus enters into our life wherever we are, even if we're last, right? And he takes her shame and he heals her, okay? And he touches her and notice what was her reaction, right? Her instant reaction was praise, okay? Her world, again, had been turned upside down, right? She had been set free, right? But there's a lot, there's more going on here because as soon as this happens, her Instant reaction is praise, but there's also another instant reaction, right, by the religious leaders in the synagogue, right? And their instant reaction is to start shaming Jesus, right, and pointing the finger and, and calling him out, right? And then Jesus, again, responds to them, right, and, and, and tells them, again, like, guys, you have missed the point. Like, I, again, I've come here to turn everything upside down, including what you believe, you know, is so important about the Sabbath. And as he calls them out, again, then we see the, the conclusion of this story in verse 17, right? Um, where, again, they get shamed. But the story of this is Jesus changes our shame to rejoicing. And that's what he does for this woman, right? He, she enters, he calls out her shame, and he turns it into rejoicing. And whatever, again, shames us, like Jesus wants to heal it, right, and turns it instantly to rejoicing. Okay, but notice this, this idea of shame runs through this story because the woman enters with shame, leaving rejoicing, and yet we see the conclusion in verse 17, right, is it says, this shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Again, the woman enters the story shamed and leaves rejoicing. The religious leaders enter the story, you know, with honor, right, and, and 
um, you know, at the top, and they leave the story changed. Jesus takes this entire situation on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, and he flips it upside down. Right, and as we see this idea, okay, that again, Jesus wants to take our shame and turn it upside down into rejoicing. Okay, and that is a part of following Jesus. Okay, next, um, the next section, right, in both of these chapters, okay, is where Jesus teaches about God's kingdom. Okay, in chapter 13, he gives three parables that are all stacked on top of each other about ways that God's kingdom is like. And then in 14, um, he, he gives us um, these two stories, okay? And these are stories about a feast and about a banquet. Now, it, we, I've already observed in Luke, it seems like Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. There's always a meal involved in the stories in the Gospel of Luke. Okay, and again, we can identify with that, right? We like to get together and eat, and that's, that's fine. Okay, so this here is another story in Luke 14, verse 7. Okay, where Jesus is at another meal. Okay, starting Luke chapter 14, verse 7. Where he says, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit at the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table, then your host sees you. He will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Okay, now as we read this story, and again, then, then Jesus goes into this next one and gives a parable okay, about a great feast. Okay, and as he continues um, to, to teach this idea of taking our world and turning it upside down, and that's by the power of what Jesus does, Okay, he teaches us here, right, that Jesus also gives us what we can't get on our own. He gives us what we can't get on our own. Okay, notice what does he say, right? He says, who should we invite to the banquet? Right, who's invited into God's kingdom, into God's banquet? Right, it's, he says everybody is, right? The ones who cannot pay you back. You know, this is exactly what he says in verses 13 and 14, right? He says, invite the poor, crippled, lame, the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. I could underline that phrase, those who could not repay you. Because as we think about the kingdom of God and think about, again, how are we honored? How are we, again, brought by the host, right, and invited to sit at the higher honor? Right, well, we, again, have to be forgiven. Right? It's our salvation. Right? And, and again, that is something we cannot earn on our own. Okay, we, we cannot earn it on our own, and we cannot repay God for paying the price for us. Because the only thing that I have earned from God is death. The only thing I've earned from God is death. Right? The wages of sin is 
death. And who are sinners? All of us are. The only thing I've earned from God is death. But through Christ, he gives us life. He gives us something we can never earn on our own. Right? And he takes our sinful, fallen state, and he turns it upside down. Right? And he gives us something we can never earn on our own. Through the life of Christ, his death, his resurrection on the third day, right? And through the gift of grace, he forgives our sin, and he saves us. Right? And that's how we join the journey. I mean, as we accept Christ into our life, we confess our sin, right, and ask forgiveness and invite Christ into our life and say, God, give me something I cannot earn on my own because the only thing I've earned from God is death. But through Christ, he gives us life, right? And he wants to take everything and turn it upside down. And again, who's welcome at God's banquet? And that's the point of the next parable, as he says, in God's kingdom, who's welcome, you know, at the banquet? Well, everybody is. Right? Especially those you don't think are welcome. Right? Those are the ones, right, that, that will actually come and, and, and give up, right, what they have. Right? And let Jesus turn their life upside down. And then in this, this last section in each chapter, okay, in, uh, in chapter 13 as well as in 14, Jesus talks about, fut- about the future, gives us future warnings. In chapter 13, he talks about Israel and he talks about, you know, the things that are coming for Israel. And then in 14, um, he, he addresses the crowd, right, and about what is future going to look like if you choose to follow me. Okay, there's this big crowd following Jesus. We're going to look at that story then in chapter 14, okay, as he gives us uh, this advice and this lesson in chapter 14, picking up at verse 25. Okay, where it says, a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciples. And if you do not carry your own, your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. And they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? If, and if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor, nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. And anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Okay, now as we, uh, again, look at, at these, these words that Jesus gives to this crowd as they were following him. Okay, again, he's saying, look towards the future. Okay, and he was telling him the truth. He said, because following Jesus is a journey that comes with a cost. See, guys, sit down and think about this, right? I mean, here, you're, you're physically following me right now, right? There's this huge crowd following Jesus. And he turns around and looks at him and says, hey, 
realize, right, like, I want you to keep following me. Like, that's great, right? But I want you to, he tells us the whole truth from the very beginning. He says, following me is a journey that's going to come with a cost. Okay, and he lays out three different areas of our life that we will pay, right, the cost that we will pay to follow Jesus, okay, to commit our life. The first one, okay, um, is that there is a relational cost to discipleship. Again, I, this is to discipleship. Now, discipleship is your journey from when you join the journey and you move closer to Christ every day. This is not, we're not talking about salvation. There's no cost to salvation, right? The God, the, your salvation's free, okay, but your journey forward comes with a cost. Okay, the first cost is a relational cost. Okay, to continue to grow in your faith with Christ, there's a relational cost to pay. Now, um, he says it in verse 26. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, as I read this, and I don't know about you, but as I read this, this feels like a very, very strong statement. Okay, hate is a strong word. Okay, it is a word that, again, I, I, I'm very careful for myself to not use unless, you know, because it's a very strong word. Okay, now that, that, again, it caught my attention, right, as I was studying this passage. Okay, and so I looked into the, the verb, the Greek verb that is translated as hate in this, uh, in this verse, okay, um, has a different definition, okay, than the word hate in English. Okay, in English, the word hate means like anger or hostility. And again, it's a very strong word. Okay, now the, the, this, this Greek word that is translated as hate, okay, means um, that if there is a conflict or a commitment to your discipleship, that, that, that discipleship will take precedence over those human relationships. Okay, so this is a priority list. Jesus is, is describing a priority list. Okay, so when he says you will hate them, what he's saying is you will put them below your relationship with me. Okay, and that's potentially the relational cost, right? He's saying if, because if, 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 even if it's a really important relationship, like your mother or father, your brother or sister, right, even these really important relationships in your life, if they hinder your faith, right, or if they, if that person wants you to, to walk away from Christ and, and commit to them instead, then you need to say no. Right, and you need to stay focused on, on me and, and on, on your faith journey. Right? He's describing a priority list in our relationships. Now, again, sometimes that can be a very dramatic thing, right? Especially if it's somebody really close to you. Right? And sometimes it's just as simple as even just who we choose to hang out with or even what we choose to do with our friends. Right? Because there's still a relational cost, right? If, if all my friends are going to go do something, right, that's not going to be honoring Christ, then I need to put Christ first and say, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to go do that with you guys tonight. But again, this gets very practical very quickly. Right, there is a relational cost, right, to, to your faith journey. Hey, I have a, a, just a, a quick uh, video, kind of silly video, uh, that illustrates this concept a little bit of this, this cost we pay to follow Jesus as we continue to journey with him. Hey, hey, Dad. Yeah. Uh, those are not my cigarettes. These are not your cigarettes? <laughs> nah, but you can put them in here. <laughs> All right. That didn't really work out like I planned. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, listen, uh, my buddies are uh -huh. going to see this movie, uh -huh. okay? And I know you and I know about the movie. We've talked about it, uh -huh. okay? But before you say anything, uh -huh. before you say anything, okay? Uh -huh. I know, okay? I know that there is some cussing in the movie, uh -huh. okay? But it's just a little bit, okay? Just a little bit, and I know it's not real, uh -huh. okay? And um, there's some violence, okay? But it's just a little bit, just a little bit, and I know it's not real, you right. know? Yeah. And there is some nudity in it, okay? Uh, but it's just a little, it's just a little, and I know it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, can I please go see the movie, please, 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 Okay. I, I knew it. You don't ever let me do anything. What do you say? You can go see the movie. That's awesome. You're the coolest guy in the whole wide world. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you go, I knew we were going to have this conversation again, so um, I decided I would make you some of my famous brownies that you loved since you were a kid. These are my favorite brownies You've in the whole wide world. You've loved those brownies since you were I a little these. kid. And so I thought I'd just make them for you. You know, I, same great ingredients that I always put in those brownies, yeah. but this time I just added a little bit of something, just a little bit of something. It shouldn't affect the whole batch. It's just a little bit of something. You shouldn't mess with perfection. That's, that's my point exactly. That's my point exactly. Yeah. But I've added the same ingredients that I always have. You've got the eggs, the flour, the cocoa. You've got the little bit of vanilla. You've got the almonds. Same great ingredients that I always put in there. Powdered sugar. Powdered sugar is in there. But this time I added just a little bit of something. Brown sugar. Brown sugar. A little bit of brown sugar, yeah. White sugar. Uh, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, we'll go with that, Ed-Lib. Sure. See, but um, <laughs> see, but I added just a little bit of something in there. Just a little bit of something. It shouldn't affect the whole batch, though. Cumin? No. All spice? No. Old spice? No. I can taste it a little different. Just but, a, but it shouldn't affect the whole batch, son. It's just a little bit. I mean, yes, same wonderful ingredients, but it's just a little bit of something. What is it? Dog poop. <laughs> Excuse so, me? Just a little bit, son. It's just a little bit. <laughs> it is dog poop. From the big dog or the little dog. From the little dog. That's a load off. Son, Why would you put dog poop in the brownie? Son, it shouldn't affect the whole batch. It's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. I get it. What? It's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. What? Hey, the next time you don't want me to go see a movie, just say, son, don't go see a movie. Don't feed me poop brownies. I don't even want to go to the movie now. I just want to go get something to drink. That better be lemonade in the refrigerator. I told you it was silly. Yeah, but, yeah, we get the concept, right? There, there's a relational cost to be paid. Right, he had to tell his friends he's not going to go. Right? Because, again, he needed to put his relationship with Christ, right, and his faith journey ahead, right, of even his friendships. Yeah, that's what his, his dad was trying to teach him. Which leads us, though, into the next thing, right, that Jesus points out and the next cost even that we need to pay if we're going to be serious about our faith in Christ. And that is a spiritual cost. Yeah, there's a spiritual cost to discipleship, not just a relational one, right, but a spiritual cost. In fact, Jesus phrases it this way in this story. He says, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, again, in this time in their culture, right, they, they knew what that meant. The cross was not a piece of jewelry. 
right? Or something that we, you know, put as a, a sign of victory like we do today. Right, this was before Christ died on the cross. To them, cross meant certain death and punishment and shame. Right, and Jesus says, if you do not pick up your cross, right, if you do not pay a spiritual cost, meaning I die to myself, right, I even put myself less than Christ. I, I would choose, again, for myself, I choose the lowest seat at the table. Right, there is a cost to be paid, right? A physical cost, a, a relational cost, a spiritual cost. And that I die to myself. I take up my cross. So, yes, I will die to my own desires. Right? And I'll walk through that. And then leads then to the last cost that he describes here in this passage, and that is a physical cost. Right, as we think about our, our relationships, think about my spiritual life, right, and, and even how I view myself, right, and prioritize that, then comes the last one, and potentially the most practical one, right? He says there's a physical cost to discipleship, right? And he lays it out to this crowd, right, in verse 33, when he says, so you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. Again, as we read this, just like we talked about last week, it's not actually about your physical possessions. Right? It is about your attitude about your physical possessions. Right? Jesus is not saying that you can't own anything if you're a follower of Christ. Right? He's saying right, that those things cannot be more important than your relationship with Christ. Right? And that, again, you can't, you can't worship those things. You can't live for those things. Again, they're the, right, you have to, and he's saying if it's such a big, then sell everything. Right? And that's kind of your attitude. Well, if, oh, well right? Like, it's fine. Right? My things do not define me. Right? And, and as, we, as we think about that idea, right, the physical cost, right, it doesn't mean that you don't have anything, but it means that your attitude about what you have gets flipped upside down. Right? And you're not defined by what you have. And sometimes that becomes very real and very practical very fast. Now, again, this large crowd was following Jesus. Right, and then he turns around, you know, tells them, hey, this is what it costs to truly be my disciple. Are you willing to pay this cost? Right, and then he closes out this teaching in verses 34 and 35, okay, where, again, he talks to those who have already decided to follow him when he, when he brings up the salt. Okay, he looks at them, right, and he, again, just tells all of them that following Jesus is a serious commitment. This is not something to take lightly. This is something he's like, I don't want a little bit of you. I want to take your life. And if you follow me, I will turn it upside down. And he says, again, take this seriously because this is a serious commitment. Right? And when he looks at those disciples, those that have already chosen to follow him, right? And he looks at them and he says, take this seriously and don't lose what you've already gained. Again, if you're salty, stay salty. Right? Don't lose flavor in your life because that's a danger. Right? If you don't take these costs and you don't pay these costs and take it seriously. This is a serious commitment. And then he closes out this section in the last phrase right, in verse 35 when he says, All who have ears to hear, let them hear. Right? Now, again, who, who has ears? Well, we all have ears. Right? He's saying, right, is everybody 
listen, take this knowledge, and make a decision. Right? Weigh this, make a decision. Now that you fully understand, he was calling this crowd and he calls us. He's like, now you fully understand the cost of following me. I want you to make a decision. You commit and you follow, or you can, you can go about your life without me. He said, take it seriously. Commit fully. And this is the concept that, uh, again, Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 5.17. There he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. Again, it just says there's a cost to be paid following Jesus. Your salvation is free, right? But there's a cost to journey forward. Right? Join the journey, right? Your salvation, receive Christ. Your salvation is paid for you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But there is a price to be paid for discipleship. And it all centers on the concept given to us in 1330. Again, are we ready to leave our old life behind? Right? And live a new life that begins with Christ. And again, that's a process. That's, a, that's why we use the word journey, right? We continue to move forward with that. Right, but as we think about that, again, remember, it all centers on this concept in verse 30. Indeed, those who are last will be first. And those first will end up last. Because following Jesus means everything gets turned upside down. And as we think about that idea, and think about that challenge that it brings us, it gets us to our final thought this morning, and that's this. There is a cost to following Jesus, but it is worth the sacrifice. There is a cost to following Jesus, but it's worth the sacrifice. So what in your life needs to be turned upside down? Again, what's, what's hindering your faith? What's holding you back in your journey? Again, I don't know. Maybe there isn't, and that's great. Maybe your life's already been turned upside down. But I think continue to grow. Right? Um, Again, maybe what needs to be turned upside down is everything. Maybe you've never received Christ as your Savior and you've never joined the journey. My hope and prayer is you will pray today, confess your sins to Christ, be, invite him into your life, right, and, and receive your salvation. Right, maybe, again, I don't know what it is. Again, you don't even have to tell me. Hey, but you look in your life, right, and say what in your life needs to be turned upside down because following Jesus turns everything upside down. Lord God, that is our prayer this morning. God, that we bow at your feet. And God, we pray, Lord, that you will take whatever holds us back from you, God, and turn it upside down in our life. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we can lay it at your feet, God, that you, Lord, would lift us up. God, you would give us life, real life. I continue to change and mold our hearts, God, to be everything you created us to be. God, as we serve you with everything we have. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we go today, God, that we would go, um, Lord, excited, Lord, that you've taken our shame and you've turned it to rejoicing. And God, especially in a world, God, that, that needs you so desperately. God, I pray that you will help us, Lord, to shine your light, God, to show your love. God, to all those we interact with this week. As we continue to journey forward in our own faith, God, we would share with others where true hope comes from, and that's in you. Lord, guide us as we go today. Lord, we thank you for paying the price for our salvation. 
Lord, and now we live for you. God, in everything we do, we thank you for turning our life upside down. Guide us this week. In Jesus' name we pray.